Welcome aboard. This is uh, Comparing Apples to Oranges, a podcast where we take two things that don't belong in the same genre, but belong in the same category, and using a certain set of criteria, decide which one's better. I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Jeremy. And uh, we're coming at you with a new episode, even though we are quarantined and we're in our houses. Um, so pardon the, pardon the uh, audio quality of this one. We're, we're doing our best. I, I like how you said that they shouldn't be compared, but they are in the same category, which normally, at least the first episode I did, they were absolutely not in the same category. One no, was, they were in the a, same category. They one had, was a, a Glacius in someone's name. Yeah, that's the same thing we're doing today. <laughs> they're both audio recordings. No, they're, uh, they're, they're content that's consumable that the, oh. the one who created it, has. they have the same last name. That's Dynamite. <laughs> Yes. And then this one <laughs> is so also bad. the same last name, except accidentally uh, more related than I thought they would be. Yeah. But, but that's, we'll the whole, that. that's the whole point, is there's so many connections between things, whether people know it or not. And uh, that that's where we're here. We're trying to bring things together here to tell you which one's better. And um, so Jeremy came up with uh, these two movies that, we're gonna, that we watched. Um... I sent him a couple of ideas because I always have like a handful because uh, similar to your point just now, a lot of people have trouble understanding the concept of this podcast and usually they're like, oh, so like you would read a Harry Potter book and then compare it to the movie. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, you would read a Harry Potter <laughs> book and then compare it to Lord of the Rings. I said, no, that's the same genre. And they're like, what if you read a Harry Potter book and compare it to the movie of one of the Lord of the Rings? I'm like, no. And then I would freak out. <laughs> you could read a Harry Potter book and compare it to Dirty Harry because they both have someone named Harry there you go. that it is named after. Right. It is, you got to say it's a tangential relationship. Like You're, they are. Yeah. Like there is, there's one thread, and then you find out that there's more than one thread. Exactly. Um, Harry Potter and Dirty Harry. Uh, Harry Potter ends up being a cop at the end. There you go. Uh, he's and probably corrupt like Dirty Harry. Yeah. There you go. Uh, although now, um, all J.K. Rowling stuff has been canceled, so we, we won't yes. be doing that in the future. <laughs> so I sent him a couple ideas, and then um, he so brilliantly came up with one. And I think it's nice because we're in the month of June, and uh, Father's Day is coming up. So this one's sort of. It's like oh. a Father's Day sort of nod sort of episode. No, we did not watch um, uh, Daddy's Home and uh, what's another you... movie with a dad in it? Ghost Dad. Uh, oh. I guess those are both comedies, though. My Three Dads? Is that a movie? <laughs> that sounds like... I, are you thinking of Three Men and a Baby? Yeah, that's, that's probably what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, man. He was one of the uh, men. Do, do you want to hear how, how I, I thought of this category? Which was actually a conversation that I had before you asked me to be on the podcast again. Absolutely. Was my friend Stryker said that he watched a bunch of Robert Downey Sr.'s movies. Ooh. And he was like, he's such an interesting filmmaker. It's so weird that his son went on to be Mr. Hollywood. It's kind of, And then, then he said it's kind of like how John Cassavetes' son was in Face Off and then directed The Notebook. And that's just like <laughs> – was stuck in my brain because yeah. I also watched – I was watching a Cassavetes movie like the day before or after that. So I was just like, oh, that's so fucking weird because the the movie Husbands by Cassavetti, by John Cassavetes is like – It's him and his wife, right? Well, no. Husbands is 
is is him and um the the guy that plays Columbo okay and Pete, Ben yeah. Cazera Peter Falk and it's like yeah Peter Falk and like their friend dies they go to the funeral and then they're like we don't want to go home to our wives and then they just go like occasionally be having a good time but mostly just fucking terrorizing people in New York <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like it's so weird to think about that yeah and and the Notebook together yes uh. And then we picked a movie that actually relates to The Notebook in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. And, uh, okay, so we'll talk about... So these are two movies, both by the Cassavetes uh, family, which, as we're going to detail in a moment, um, almost every Cassavetes project is a like a family affair. So we watched mm-hmm. um, two movies. One is called Minnie and Mouskowitz. Uh, it's a 1971 American romantic comedy drama written and directed by John Cassavetes. And that, that's how we're going to say it, right? Cassavetes? I am pretty positive that's how you pronounce it. I was going to look it up. I watched uh, a trailer for this on YouTube, which uh, I think by the, at the airing of this, June 15th, uh, I think you can still watch this movie for free on YouTube. And it's not one of those pirated ones. It's like just legit, like I think just with ads, right? It's not like... When you search it on like Roku, it doesn't list it, but like, if you go to youtube and you look it up there's like ads on it mm-hmm. and if somebody gave a shit they would they would get it pulled down because yeah. they're getting ads so i don't know i don't know who owns the rights okay so um this is um, so that's the first movie we watched uh and then the second movie we watched was the notebook a 2004 romantic drama film directed by nick cassavetes uh john's son and it was written so it it's written by one gentleman, Jeremy Levin, and it's, which was, he used John, Jan Sardi's adaptation of the 1996 Nicholas Sparks novel. So, and I have opinions about Nicholas Sparks that we will get to eventually. But, so this is like Nicholas Sparks through a mirror darkly sort of thing, because we have him as the original author of the book, and then someone wrote it into a screenplay, and then someone wrote this? And then there's the yeah. director, which we'll get into. we got to get into it. Do you consider Minnie and Mouskowitz a comedy? Um, I don't know. It's it's not like a comedy like something like, I don't know, like Anchorman or whatever, where it's like, Perfect. it's all about yes. the jokes. Absolutely. I do think it's funny. Yes. I do think if I watched it with other people, I would laugh a lot more than, well, I mean, I watched it with my wife. Yeah. And, and I thought it was funny. Yes. Um, like the first John Cassavetes movie that I saw was The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which, off which the is top like of the bat sounds like just a walk in the park. <laughs> it's very it's light, a pretty fair. It's a pretty right? intense drama, but yeah. the characters in the situation are so fucking stupid mm-hmm. that it's so funny. Like it's like this guy. Like here's the big picture of what the movie is this guy uh, uh that owns this like ridiculous like cabaret nightclub uh pays off his bookie finally and it goes out to celebrate and goes to a casino and loses fifteen thousand oh, dollars and the no. and the people from the casino are like hey to pay off this debt if you don't lose your nightclub you gotta go murder this guy in chinatown uh but the whole time he's more concerned with his cabaret what's happening in the night than he is with like 
the situation on his life <laughs> and it's so stupid but it's it's like real tense but yeah. it's like you're laughing the whole time uh this one is also really tense but you're laughing during a bunch of it but not quite as much yeah i would so i haven't seen that movie but um i would easily characterize these characters less as like really stupid and like just they're almost like people without any filter like this is how it in a lot of ways like this is i didn't think it was a comedy in in the or i didn't even think it was a romantic comedy in the way that like you know leap year who's in leap year <laughs> it's matthew mcfaden that's that mm-hmm. might be right and then um who's in arrival oh oh amy adams yes so that that movie is like oh these two these two wacky lovebirds love each other but they don't know it yet you know and like and then it's a series of like oh she stepped in you know some cow poop and you know he yeah he saw her changing and he ran into a door like you know romantic comedy like traditional like it's laid out it's the same all the time and that's why people like it you know just like action movies but this movie like is a romantic comedy that is sort of instead of the characters like mental dialogue it's these characters actions are just happening and instead of you know swelling romantic music when one character asks another character to dance even though even though there's no music which happens in both movies one is Mm. played like as the romantic comedy trope and the other is played in a very like real and uh, like I was uncomfortable because it was almost like a voyeur voyeur sort of situation, and I know that's not what he was going for. He's just going for like, I don't know what he's going for. What are you I talking thought about the notebook, or you're talking about Minnie Moskowitz? I the thought situation. Minnie and Moskowitz. I thought <laughs> he was going for like like raw, like unfiltered. Now that's just me, and it's like super easy to read into a movie like this because there isn't like easy cinematic cues. Because they mm-hmm. kept calling him the like the in one of the grandfathers or godfathers or fathers, depending on you know which article I was reading oh, of yeah. like independent cinema. Like he was one of the first like directors I can, I, to do his own thing. Yeah, I can speak to that a little because yeah, like please. what I what I've heard about him from some some of my friends watched like a bunch of his movies like a year or two ago. Okay, and that's actually who I was like, hey, which which one should we do? Because uh, I didn't feel like watching Husbands again because I watched that like two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and they had seen more than me, and then and then one of them was like, "Oh, this movie would be great with the uh, the Notebook." Right. And like, <clears throat> part of it is he was a Hollywood actor, so he had like money yes. from that. And then he would he wanted to be a director, so he just started making these movies. Right. Which it was like there were some people that were stars like Peter Falk. And Ben Gazzara and you know his wife Gina Rollins that yep. that like were stars in a lot of things that he would have in them and then some people would just like not even really be actors and yeah. he got a lot of credit for um, doing a lot of impro- improvisation with his actors yes. but I read a quote on Wikipedia where he was like people don't really understand what that means he's like it's all tightly scripted it's just I don't know how each character is gonna feel and the line readings are all up to the actors. And they like workshop it, and would do rewrites and stuff. It wasn't like, it wasn't improvised the way that, like Judd Apatow movies are improvised. Yeah. And so I, I think that's really interesting. And also like a lot of his early movies, the sound mixing is absolute dog shit. Yeah, because you, like, they didn't have, you know, it, they didn't have the money for this sort of stuff. Like, 
yeah. some microphones and like editing equipment that costs money. And this guy's having yeah, like, like not... all of his family in the movie. So like, like nowadays, like doing a digital film yes. is like pretty cheap relatively, yeah. but yeah. back then the only option you couldn't even do like video, you had to do film and it costs and so... so much per foot. Like, yeah, there are all and, sorts uh, of obstacles in his way. One story like around him um, in terms of being an independent filmmaker is – and this was a little bit later in his career – Killing of a Chinese Bookie, I think it's that one. He he made the movie. He sent it out to like film festivals and stuff. Nobody wanted to distribute it, and then he like literally like sent it to theaters, and then eventually some film festival picked it up. Like nobody wanted to distribute it. He was like yeah. literally like, like mailing it to people Wow. versus like – at the time, most people were in the studio system, or I, I guess it was between the studio system and like New Hollywood with right. like you know uh, the the change in the seventies. I don't really, yes. I, I'm not a historian, right. but it was like such a set thing where it was like either huge stuff. There wasn't a ton of like little independent stuff like this. That's interesting. So. And there's definitely no like direct to video opportunities, you know. So it's oh just... no, yeah. Um, I did want to bring that... up. Go ahead. Isn't that crazy to think about that, like, at a time when our parents were alive, there was no such thing as renting or buying a movie for the home? Yeah. It was like you, you had TV and you had the movie theater. Isn't that crazy? And the movie theater, like, people, like, in this movie, which I thought was the father, John Cassavetti, tries to have, mm. like, the characters both go see movies independent yeah. of each other, and that's sort of like, and then they see one together, and it's it's really interesting I th it's in both movies both both movies uh, oh yeah the, the lead Scosi movies which it always stands out to me uh, when like a character on TV watches TV or a character in a movie sees a movie I don't I know it's meta but it's just it's kind of interesting to see how they act but they talk about like that, that was a big thing that they kept talking about um, is that Minnie like is talking when she gets drunk and talks with her friend about how movies sell them like a bill of goods and it's there there are no real like leading men in real life and that's sort of the impetus of the the movie is like checking to see if that's right or not and almost mm. all of the <laughs> reviews I was reading was like ah it's good she kept hope alive because it's a true love story and I'm like man were we watching the same movie like oh. People that do movie reviews are so fucking stupid sometimes. <laughs> oh, um, my God. Like, because yeah. I took that scene, mm -hmm. especially after seeing well, – just you just look at Moskowitz. Yeah. And he's like – I mean, the actor is not like a, a bad-looking guy, but he's got that ridiculous mustache. Yes. He – at first, you don't think he's that crazy because his first two scenes are with people that are fucking insane. Yeah. And yeah. then she is she goes on a date with a guy that is worse than him. Like and I'm like completely oh. insane. And I'm like, oh, I, I feel like she's making this point about romantic movies yeah. that there's no such thing as that and that they're tricking you and they're a bunch of bullshit. And this is a connection I don't think I would have made if I hadn't just watched literally the notebook <laughs> the night before. Well that's interesting. But, I watched Minnie Mouskowitz first and then the notebook. Oh, so you could be like Oh, here are here are criticisms of romantic movies, and it then was, watch a, exactly. a shitty romantic movie. Exactly, it was very interesting. I recommend it. <laughs> no, I, I I had it the other way around, and so I was like, 
oh, she's talking about how this is bullshit. And then – and it's like some of some of the interactions between her and Moskowitz are sweet, and some of them, like, whenever they end up, like, liking each other, you're like, oh, I like this. Yeah. But then you think about every. It's not that he was so horrible. It's just that everything was so horrible. Right. That it made him seem acceptable. Yeah, it's. And then even he was kind of horrible. Like he eats a hot dog <laughs> in like six different scenes, and you're like, what the fuck? He's always drinking beer, which yeah. is also true about Ryan Gosling in the Notebook. He's drinking yeah. beer in like every scene. That's a good point. Or like they're like, yeah, he got drunk for ten days. We think he went crazy. I'm like. Are we going to read into this? Like, nope, just going on to the next scene. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I feel like this... I, I texted my friend Stryker and I said, I feel like this movie is making fun of movies like The Notebook. And he said, yep, either that or John Cassavetes is insane. We're not sure. And that I think that the beauty of it is, like, the with a movie like this, it's one of those things where whatever you come away with is sort of like tells a little bit more about you than it does him. He's just like, hey man, this is just a movie I made. Like, if you're reading into it, that's... It might oh, be yeah. there, but why do you think it's there sort of thing? Which, I, you know, that mm-hmm. you can do that with... A lot of good movies have that. Um, when, one thought I had coming away from that movie was I... Not soon, but I want to watch it again because I feel like going in knowing what happens and already having preconceived notions... I feel like I'll have a different experience. Like I feel, I feel like some movies, like they're they're making a point or whatever, and it's really interesting. Or there's a twist, or it's like a heist movie or yeah. something like that, and you're like, oh, okay, I want to kind of, yeah, I kind of want to see the pieces as we go. The Shyamalan experience, where you go back and find yeah. everything red, yeah, yeah. Like Knives Out was like that recently, where I was like, that was a great. Oh, movie. that's. Yeah, and but then occasionally you you see a mystery movie, mm-hmm. and then you watch it again, and it's not. Correct. a different experience and you're Correct. like oh this is just i was just tricked the first time but not in a good way <laughs> they uh they lied to me and i hate that <laughs> <laughs> um so just a little bit more about minnie Mouskowitz, and then i'll tell you some some uh some cool facts about um the notebook awesome. so uh just real quick uh we mentioned already the two lead roles um minnie is played by gina rollins who is John Cassavetti's wife, and they were married until John Cassavetti's passed away of a psoriasis of the liver, which is not great. Um, he died uh, really young, mm-hmm. um, which is sad. I, was he was he fifty nine or sixty nine? He he was really young. Something like that. He wasn't he wasn't super old. He wasn't like thirty or forty, but yeah. he was. It's still sad. And then um, the Moskowitz, Seymour Moskowitz, is played by Seymour Castle, who, get this, has appeared in over 200 movies and television shows, had a career that spanned over 50 years. Um, You might recognize him because he was in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. He played Dusty in the Royal Tenenbaums, so that's fun. Unfortunately, he passed away last year at the age of 84 from Alzheimer's, which is an unusual connection to The Notebook that definitely wasn't there on purpose but you know <laughs> yeah they meant to do that <laughs> doesn't life imitate art am i right guys uh so what else oh, oh so castle I get, I, go ahead i guess we should mention a little bit about the plot is like yeah she goes and see oh, he 
you just kind of see that he's this weird, crazy person. He moves to L.A. Uh, she, like, is hanging out with her friend. They go see, I think it's Casablanca. Yes. And oh, wait, no, they see Maltese Falcon. No, no yeah, he that... sees Maltese Falcon. She sees they see Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah. And they right. and they they have this conversation about how romantic movies always lie to you, yeah. and they're a bunch of bullshit, and men that look like that don't really exist. Right. And then this guy that doesn't look like that fucking stumbles into her life. But like she before that, she goes on a date with someone who literally screams the entire time. She tries to get out of the date. He screams louder. Everyone in the restaurant looks so uncomfortable. Uh, it's very funny uh, in retrospect, but in the moment, it's very uncomfortable. He uh, he shouts that she's not like women. Just don't understand me. <laughs> like, uh... yes. <laughs> uh, and oh, then I think he calls her a whore, and then tries to he com- he leaves her in the parking lot, and then he tries to get out of the his car to I'm just guessing assault her. Yeah. Okay. And then and then Mos Moskowitz picks her up, uh proceeds to yell at her but not as loud as that guy <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. Uh they go get like a well, sandwich. No. He he lightly kidnaps her. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> they go dancing but that don't actually go in to go dancing, they just dance in the parking lot because she was embarrassed by him. It's it's this it's this there's so many tropes that I feel like they're making fun of, including the, like, uh, she's fancier than him. Yes. And so uh, they meet a, a, an acquaintance of hers, and she seems embarrassed by him. And he's like, what? Well, you're embarrassed? And it's like, it, that makes sense when you do it on a TV show and they've known each other for a while or right. a movie where it's, like, a few months in. But it's like, they met that day. Yeah, it feels like, like a Shakespearean, like, they're acting for the back back row sort of thing like oh yeah it's it's such a compressed timeline but also i mean she was like 40 at the time so like part of it is like she feels like she's never gonna find love right she's she she feels like she doesn't have a lot of options right all as we've been shown all the options are terrible yes um the way as i'm saying this i'm creeping myself out but like it's (laughs) it's I feel like it's self-aware, whereas I feel like if The Notebook did this, I would feel creeped out. Uh, I, does that make sense? That, I completely agree. Um, so because The Notebook is so slick and like polished, intentionally that, like, so. Like shots are like cinematic, and mm. like the whole thing with like it being done in the South, and there's just like enormous landscape shots, and you know. It covers World War Two, and it covers, you know, plantation life, and then it has the whole he's making forty cents an hour, and she's coming from people that make jokes about old money. So yeah, <laughs> it's it it can't it's not it, it lacks subtlety. I think is the nice yes. way to put it. Although although I would say in terms of talking about it being cinematic, I, I think it's like cinematic and like it's looks beautiful mm-hmm. but i think mini moskowitz is more cinematic and that there there are interesting shots like like it'll just it'll just show someone's face like one person's face during the whole conversation which is more interesting than you know the like cut the multi-cuts oh. and keeping the eye line and all that yeah we're, we're gonna cut the normal way that they do in like let's say a, a soap opera and yes. the way that you don't notice it right. versus like 
oh, you hear something happening, but you don't get to see it, and you're like, what is that? And, like, since cinematography that, like, makes things more interesting as opposed to is invisible. I completely I mean, the, agree with that, yeah. They, they both have... They both have their place. Yes. And they both can be used poorly. Yeah. I just think um, in many of it's used really well, and I think in most of John Cassavetes' movies, I think it's used really well. I don't think the cinematography is a problem in the Notebook. It's just kind of it's just kind of there. Yeah. It it's definitely not, I wouldn't call it like filler, but it it mm. somewhat distracts you from the content, and I don't think that's an accident. Well, I in in uh um in the notebook or in in the notebook. In, I don't I don't think the cinematography distracts so much as it's just like, like in cinematography in terms of like camera angles and like what's in frame. I don't think it's distracting so much as it's like you don't even notice it, which is not bad, yeah. but it's also like it's not a plus, it's not a minus. It's right. it just kind of looks like every other movie that's this kind of movie except for the war scene which is like so low budget and low rent that I laughed the first time I saw this and the women that like uh, I, w- I was on the track team at the time in college and some of the girls wanted to watch this movie and they were like mad at me that I was laughing at the sad scene where the guy from Entourage died and I'm like no <laughs> this is like this is almost camp in that it is so like corny <laughs> like yeah that was uh you, I'm jumping around. <laughs> did you like enjoy that they had uh, Cyclops from X Men as the follow up love interest? I forgot he played Cyclops from X Men. I just remember that he just from seeing memes. I remembered he was the guy from Peter Rabbit and the Sonic movie. Yes, James Marsden. He, I like James Marsden. He's got he's got range, man. You know he can play. No, he's he's always playing the same guy. He's like, hey, I'm the. I'm not that bad of a guy. Like that's that that's his mo. And he, you know what? He's not that bad of a guy. No, he's not bad. He's and someone that I was talking to about this, she was like, I just remember the guy that we're supposed to hate being actually really handsome and likable. Right. And I'm like, but the problem. Okay, so <laughs> one thing that I think about his role in that movie is it's refreshing that in a romance, the guy that she doesn't end up with isn't like obvious villain asshole. Yeah, because he's not cheating on her, and he's, he's not, not... He's not treating her like shit. He's a nice guy. Right. That's he's not realistic. screaming whore at her, or to yeah. coming into an art exhibit with his teenage son to tell her that we can't we can't see each other anymore because my wife oh, tried yeah. to slit her wrists. <laughs> yeah, like like in Minnie Mouse... Oh my god, yes. Which, but, fun fact, that was John Cassavetes, her, uh, yes. her, her married lover in real life is... It was, Playing Jim parentheses uncredited. I guess he's not listed in the credits. Insane. Uh, I only know that because uh, IMDb said uncredited. But because yeah. uh, I was like, is that him? Because it's it was a few years he's after. It's a very uh, distinct look. Yeah. A very recognizable face. But I was gonna say about um, James Marsden. James Marsden's character. It's kind of it's refreshing that he's not a piece of shit. Yes. And that they for for a movie that. Um, doesn't let you figure anything out and like spells everything out for you. Correct. Like that's a, a surprisingly subtle moment. Except, I feel like she's kind of an asshole to him. Yes. 
in the same way that Ryan got we're, we're jumping over to the other movie. Uh, yeah. We're all over the place. In the same way that Ryan Gosling's kind of an asshole to that one woman he's having sex with. The war it, widow, Jeremy? Yes, is that who yeah, you're the, talking about? Who's classified? Yeah. Her, the only thing we know about her is her husband died in the war. <laughs> and then and then it takes long enough for her to mention her husband that I had forgotten. Well, <laughs> we watched half of the movie, then we watched the other half the next night. Because uh, we started it late. It's so a little bit over two Most hours. people probably didn't forget, but she's just like, ever since ever since John died, I'm like, who the fuck is John? And I'm like, oh, yeah, does. she's a war widow. But, like, I feel like this movie thinks it's romantic that they're assholes to their other romantic partners because yeah. – they're not the one right which which makes my skin crawl to think about yes um and and that is such an interesting thing to like have come out of a world where minnie and mouskowitz is a romantic comedy as well yes by by all standards like it was (laughs) i watched the trailer which i'll put in the show notes it is wild they're like this screwball comedy hits it all you know hits all bases and i'm just like this is not screwball like i mean by by the standards of like two people who shouldn't be in love fall in love and there's a lot of stuff that gets in their way yes but like (laughs) this is oh yeah you know this is not this is not your typical uh rom-com on the on the um poster for the movie on imdb uh, one thing says human and funny. Go see Minnie Moskowitz. I'm like, yeah, it's human in that like a lot of it is terrifying yeah. and hard to watch, and it is funny. And then one says the best, most charming, and funniest home movie ever made, which <laughs> what? Which, which starts out like not understanding the movie and then ends with being real shitty about the fact that they didn't spend twenty yeah. million dollars on this. Right. Yes. Uh, apparently, this was one of a small number of low-budget, which they classify as less than a million dollar, films bankrolled by Universal Studios in the early 70s because it was trying to capitalize off of uh, the success of Easy Rider. Oh, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Because that was like shot I mean, in such a grainy way. Easy Rider was... I mean, that was a huge hit. Like that, I, I read a book about um, the 60s called Nixon Land, and there was like a whole section about... like easy writer and other movies like that and like the effect they had and it's i've never seen easy writer and i i've seen it maybe i've seen it it's all right it 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 definitely doesn't uh it can't hit the same notes um that it did yeah i mean like or if it is it's resonating a different way because i grew up in a world where it had already had its effect so it's kind of in a lot of ways like people are like oh you know like you can't watch you know, psycho and it still be scary. I'm like, no, that's not the, like, sometimes those things aren't the same, especially when it comes to horror. Like you can watch jaws today and it'll still kind of scare you, but that's because it's not playing. It it fits in a genre, but it's playing by different rules. We're like, yeah, I would have assumed that with the popular, like with all the rave reviews, many of Moskowitz was, were having that people would like, there would be more serious, um, rom- like romance dramas like it but it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just people don't want to see movies like this because they're so, so like, there's physically uncomfortable scenes, you know? Oh, yeah. That is that is something that I really like in um, John Cassavetti's works. And I, I feel like that's a thing that 
it's it's out there. It's yeah. in a, a lot of like not avant-garde, but like a lot of independent cinema where it's like trying to be realistic in a yeah. way that is the camera just keeps rolling instead of letting you flinch. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read to you the summary that I got off of uh, Wikipedia, which was corroborated with IMDb. It says, following a breakup, many more, a museum curator, becomes disillusioned by love and meaningful relationships. But after a chance encounter, she meets Seymour Moskowitz, a parking lot attendant. After this event, Moskowitz falls in love with Minnie, trying desperately to get her to love him back. Following a breakup, like she gets beat in her house, and then yeah, like, he, <laughs> and, oh, and also, and also something that I just remembered about this movie is the first, not the first, but like one of the first scenes we see with Seymour Moskowitz, yeah, it's him going to a bar and so desperately hitting on every single person there until yeah. he pisses and h- half of them have boyfriends right. or husbands or whatever until he gets chased out of there so and then he gets beat up in an alley <laughs> yeah and so i think i think part of the point that this is trying to make about how uh, at least based on the thesis of her saying that romancing movies like they aren't realistic and, and this kind of real love doesn't exist right. is this guy is so desperate and he falls in love with everyone but when he perseveres she says oh my god it must be true love because he won't take no for an answer and he right. and he won't leave up but it's like he would do that to literally anybody you just haven't said no firmly enough or had a man fucking punch him in the face right you know the cl- and then they the and then they trophy. end up in love and they end up getting married and it's like it it ends up sweet but the whole time while it is sweet you're like I'm enjoying that this is sweet but I my brain also doesn't forget yes how how recently the math <laughs> doesn't add up it's so <laughs> fucked up <laughs> I think so we were talking about movie reviewers and I, I'm hard pressed to like Roger Ebert is someone I respect I don't yes. always agree with him but like of pe- when someone's like oh you know uh, this is what Roper said I'm like I don't want to hear what Roper says <laughs> but they're like this is what Roger Ebert said I always want to read it not necessarily because I'm like I'm going to take his word for it just he he has he's given like movies that are ridiculous and bad good reviews because he's like this is a movie he's like it's literally not trying to be anything besides what it is and i'm oh, gonna, yeah he's like i'm not gonna give five stars but you know so he's always willing to give stuff a fair shake i think i i, I watched a movie recently um oh fuck what was it called it was called mr lonely okay. it's the guy that did spring breakers and like uh um, oh, yeah. okay. the Bum. and okay. his review of it's very interesting because he's like is it possible to give a positive two-star review (laughs) like that was the first thing he said about it and he's like he's like i don't think it all adds up right but there's so many great moments in it that i'm like i don't think this deserves more than two stars but i like it and like the way he's like conflicted about that i'm like oh this is a good fucking writer that knows what he's talking about like just that one review it's like oh i trust you to talk about anything like and and that's what i think because he doesn't take himself too seriously and i think that's what a good movie reviewer should do and let me read you a little bit of what he had to say about this movie so he said seymour is a car hiker he has a magnificent mustache shoulder length hair and very little else (laughs) to show for his life so far (laughs) 
And then I'm going to skip ahead. He says, love scores an altogether unreasonable triumph over common sense in Minnie Mouskowitz, the new comedy by John Cassavetes. The movie is sort of a fairy tale. Cassavetes says it's dedicated to all the people who didn't marry the person they should have. It is a movie on the side of love, and it is one of the finest movies of the year. So right there, he's just sort of like, he, he keeps talking about love, and he's not talking about like, Romance, and I thought that's interesting. He says Cassavetes, an oh, actor yeah. himself, is one of the few American directors who is really sympathetic with actors. He lets them go, lets them try new things, and take risks. And that goes on to what you were talking about. Um, have you seen any of these movies by Joe Swanberg or Jake? In like with Jake Johnson from New Girl? Maybe. So I don't think so. There's oh, uh... one of them's called Drinking Buddies, and another's called Digging for Fire. I recently, yeah, I, I wanted to see Drinking Buddies. I haven't seen that yet. Um, so I, I've watched, uh, I watched Digging with Fire, and it's by these two guys. And I think they heard what Cassavetes did and misunderstood, because let me like, mm-hmm. they took improv in a weird way. So instead of a traditional script, they wrote an outline that summarized the plot but included no dialogue. They cast the film mainly by contacting their friends and other actors who they knew had enjoyed their previous work. So it's like... (laughs) The movie was weird and hard to watch, and a lot of it seemed unedited, and I think that's the problem I have with when people say that they're just going to improv stuff, is like, well, no. (laughs) People work really hard to write stuff, and I think that's totally different than what Cassavetes did. it, It can work... But you said it feels unedited. It's like if you're going to improvise it, you need to do well, – well, first of all, you need to do a lot of improvising in rehearsal. That's a good point. And and then you need to get a general idea. And then the edit – well, in any movie, the editing is the most important thing. Even if you right. wrote a script. Right. Like you, you start to watch the footage and you realize, oh, there's too much of this. There's not enough of that. The, right. Yeah, that's – that that's that's discouraging me for wanting to watch these movies because I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think that's the problem is like somebody would see something as at the time avant garde or like completely new as what Casafetis is doing, and they're like, well, I I have a bunch of friends who are actors. I'll just have them act. I'm like, no, that's not acting. So well, like, are you, are you familiar with like the mumblecore movement? Um, in rap. No, Mumblecore, um, I can't name off a lot of directors that are involved. I, I've seen, like, a few movies in it, but it's, like, basically, like, um, this independent film thing from, like, the early 2000s through, probably, I guess, through today, where it's, they use a lot of, like, non-traditional actors, like, people that aren't, like, professional actors. Um, there'd be, some, there'd be a decent amount of improv- improvisation, and it's, like, very low budget, but... The good ones feel like they have scripts. Okay. And also, sometimes you watch it and there's a few, like, amazing shots, but then there's, like, a few shots where you're, like, this feels like they're not in the same room. Like, like, like it feels – it's low budget without feeling like a student film or whatever. It's very, like, realistic. Gotcha. Um, okay, so I'm looking at it now, and, uh, yeah, they're, he, they're on here. The um, Swanberg and Johnson, 
most of their movies are on here. I have not heard of this before. It's such a weird term that I think turns people off from the concept. Sure. I think, like, if you if you wanted to be a filmmaker and uh, you were choosing between uh, spending $150,000 on film school yeah. and, uh, I don't know, uh, making a movie for $10,000, right. it's like, well... Make them like like my friend my friend Stryker made a movie and I don't it's not really mumblecore it's more it's I mean it kind of is but it's like it's a little more artsy than that it's hard to to to, to classify but it's like it's kind of, it it's it's an interesting genre because it's kind of like a way for people that don't have the connections to get into. Mm-hmm making film yeah that's um, a good way to put it which is very important because like like, I, like I've, I've read um there, there's certain people that are that i read they're like film reviews and stuff like that and uh this this one guy was talking about how um the people that drive the nicest cars onto like hollywood like film lots are the interns <laughs> uh because their families are all extremely rich yeah and it's like that's considered the one way to like get into the film industry for you know, a lot of people and yeah. so it's like inaccessible for so much so like something like mumblecore where it's like hey get your fucking friends together yeah uh shoot a like slightly improvised thing you don't even need to write a full script like that's a great idea and right. there's a lot of great movies that come out of it but um what well, sort of like takes down the whole idea of gatekeeping like yeah and it makes and, it more egalitarian to just because like one of the things that has improved is like digital photography. The quality might not be there, but everybody can film something and edit it, and then yeah, like, send it out depending and, on how they want. Like what? And John Cassavetes and John Cassavetes was kind of doing that in the seventies, despite the fact he had to use film, right? Uh, because as an actor, he was able to like bankroll yeah. himself right. and, and and maybe break even, maybe lose money. But he also um, is better at this than almost anybody, so yep. <laughs> it's it's an impossible standard. All right, so let's move on to the notebook. Uh, we got it's a here's the the one sentence summary. The film stars Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams as a young couple who fall in love in the '40s. Their story is read from a notebook. In present day by an elderly man played by James Garner who kills it in this movie telling the tale to a fellow nursing home resident played by Gina Rollins Cassavetti's mother well Nick Cassavetti's mother um, so it received mixed reviews when it came out and it, but it did perform well at the box office which isn't really that surprising and it did win 18 choice awards and an, MT- <laughs> and an MTV movie award so it it's classified as a sleeper hit and has gained a cult following. I I've never heard anyone complain about this movie. It's all just like you know, it's like any other romantic comedy where like people just it's romantic comedy fodder, you know? Like it's mm-hmm. it's no better than any other one and it's no worse. I don't know. Yeah, it's here's the thing. Okay, in terms of it being a romance, uh and I will say this only known this information because my wife reads a lot of romance novels. She has a podcast about romance novels. She has um, written a romance novel. She's editing it. Mm-hmm. She started working on a second one. 
She knows her shit. Um, Nicholas Sparks has said that he doesn't write romance. I can't wait like, for to find out what he does write. Ca- capital capital R romance. <laughs> There's like as opposed to something that has a romance yes. element of it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, means that there is always there's always a happy ever after or at least a happily for now okay like, there's always a happy ending um, there's certain other elements that I don't know sure but he's like he's like that's that's fucking bullshit I do something better than oh that God. but but when you watch this movie and you look at this movie it's it's a not particularly interesting romance right with a framing device that is just fucking tragedy porn. Yes. It's Absolutely. like, okay, so, so you wrote a romance that if you just wrote this as a romance, it could be on Hallmark Channel, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe. There's nothing wrong with that. It would maybe be on Hallmark if you made it during Christmas. Whatever. But it's not. So you'd have to. It's not even good enough to, like, stand on its own as a romance story. So you're gonna put a, like a, a framing story around it. Yeah. That is so fucking manipulative. Um. The one important thing is that they were not Jewish concentration camp residents. <laughs> That's like, or you know, like one of those things where it's just like, hey, you know, this I can just totally cash in on this, right? Like everyone already knows it. I could just play it up, right? Oh, it's like love exists during tragedy. This is like love exists and then tragedy happens, and right. they remember love, and then there's like a miracle. <laughs> Which I think that's the my my main issue with this is, whenever you decide to do something with a heavy or serious um, thing, event or you know, in this case, it's sort of a MacGuffin, almost. <laughs> like, you know, if you're choosing to have something so serious in it, I want you to have the guts to do it. Like, but yeah. he, he doesn't, and and that's and that's the worst part. Well, one thing I noticed about halfway through the movie is that they always explain everything. They never let you figure it out on your own. With they, and, they and, have... and and for and for the miracle at the end. By making it definitively a miracle, just by explaining it, it hurts the movie because, like, the fact that the doctor says the type of dementia she has, they do not retain memory. Like, they don't gain more. Like, okay, there are types of Alzheimer's where people get memories back in flashes. Yeah. The doctor specifically says it's not that. And he says, "No, no, no! I believe in miracles." Right. And the then they and they literally said the miracle Alzheimer's. word "miracle" a bunch of other times. Yeah. And then she she remembers shit. She and not just remembers suddenly some of the details. Right. She is back, caught up. She's caught up, and she's there until she suddenly isn't there, and then it's sad again. And right. I'm like, you could have just had it. Well, okay. First of all, you could have written a better romance and then not had the that's asking a lot. Alzheimer's shit. That's not had the, a lot. Not had the dementia shit. But it's like you could have not made it seem impossible. Yes. Because when it happens, it's like, wait, did you earn this? Like, you just read her a fucking thing. Right. Like, it's I don't know. It's dumb. Here's, uh, I completely agree with you. I think, and, and there's nothing more to say, so I'm going to move on to some funny stuff. 
Um, <laughs> so C- Steven Spielberg heard about this, and in 1998, he wanted to do the movie with, who's that? Tom Cruise as Noah Calhoun. <laughs> in my mm-hmm. mind, he plays both the old guy and the young guy. <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> but, um, uh. so, but Cassavetes wanted to find someone unknown and in his own words not handsome to portray noah he therefore cast ryan gosling in the role is this <laughs> is mean, this a subtle was... dig wikipedia ryan gosling's a gorgeous man i don't know what they're talking about ryan gosling is the reason yeah that people overlooked a lot of the flaws of the movie is because he's so good looking right and he has so much and he has so much like he's not he's not a big actor right but he has a lot of charisma. Like, okay, like Drive, yes. I have mixed feelings about Drive. But like Drive, it's like he does a lot of just staring at people, and it's effective. Yes. Um, uh, one of my favorite movies from the past decade, is it whatever? It's it's a movie I really liked. Is uh, not the other guys. The nice uh, guys. The nice guys. That the is nice guys. Such. He's so good. He's so fucking funny. I yes. wish they made. I wish they made ten sequels of that, but yeah. that's not gonna happen. Um. But it's like at the beginning. Here's here's one of the reasons I didn't like the movie, and here's also a a connection to um Minnie Moskowitz. Okay, is how firmly she repeatedly, right. repeatedly and firmly says no. Right. He's like he's like no, but I think you're beautiful, and she's like no, and then she's like I'm on a date with the other guy. And she's right. like go away, and he forces himself to be next to her, and. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, isn't this creepy? And right. the people I was watching with were like, yeah, but he's so hot. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not – that's clearly not the same calculus that's happening in Rachel McAdams' character in this scene. And then suddenly a couple scenes later, it's like – you're like, oh, this is sweet. And But then you remember like all of the barriers she put up on purpose right. that he ignored – which is kind of like Minnie Moskowitz in that, like, he just won't take no, and then she's like, well, I guess this is who I'm in love with. <laughs> I think in that movie, too, he threatens his life and then her life if they don't, like, do something. I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of... Uh, it. They have to be, like, subconscious, like, homages in the notebook to this movie. Because I read an article where... Uh, Cassavetti, Nick Cassavetes is talking he's like, this is from the LA Times, he says my parents never leaned on me about going into the business, nor am I obsessed with establishing a separate an identity separate from theirs my work speaks for itself, it's either good or it's not Which is, <laughs> I'm glad he said that, and what they achieved <laughs> has nothing to do with what I may or may not achieve so like, I think that's that's really nice but mm-hmm. like he took, like he but that's the thing is, if I go back and I check out, you know, 25 rom-coms, I wonder how many things Minnie and Moskowitz did first, you know? And they did it it's, in earnest, and then these guys are playing it up. It's almost like if the guy that made the movie Walk Hard, his mm-hmm. son, went on to make, like, a treacly fucking biopic <laughs> that, like, you could look at it and be like, your dad made fun of what you did before you did it. Right. Somebody who, like, the guy who did This Is Spinal Tap does, like, a very serious look at Nickelback. (laughs) 
Yeah, basically. So, uh, last two things. The Notebook is a... Uh, this is from Roger Ebert. He says, The Notebook is a sentimental fantasy, but such fantasies are not harmful. We tell ourselves stories every day to make life more bearable. So, that's sort of... I think he's sort of given it a little bit more than it's deserving. Um, mm. Fun facts. Uh, as of August 11th, 2015, it was reported that a television series is in development for which network, Jeremy? I want you to guess. Uh, what network? The Netflix. series will follow Noah and Alec's courtship following the events of the film and in post-World War II. What do you think? Wait, wait, following the events of the film? So it will follow their courtship following the events of the film. Oh, oh, following, not like yeah. following after, like following. Correct. The... Okay, I was like, what does it leave out? <laughs> now they're it... ghosts. <laughs> um, my guess is Netflix. It was maybe the it's... CW. Oh. Unfortunately, it has yet to air. There was also a Broadway show um, on January 3rd, 2019. It was announced that The Notebook would be adapted into a Broadway musical with music about, and lyrics by Ingrid Nicholson. What are they going to have songs about? Uh, the War, um, The House. Uh, <laughs> hey, here, uh, quick question. Was it established why he's making furniture? Because he works at the, like, the lumber yard. So that's like if I worked at, you know, killing hogs all day, and then I would go home and I'd be like an amazing chef. Like, one skill doesn't translate into another skill. It's like you work in a quarry, therefore you're able to make sculptures. You were a geologist. Yeah. Because you work with stone every day. Like That was frustrating to me. I think they were just trying to cash in off of, like, the sex in the city thing, because that one guy is a woodworker or something. Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah. A couple... I'm just looking at my notes for the film. I was very confused that it was a summer romance and that was her parents' summer home. It was all of a sudden she's like, well, I need to leave. And I was like, wait, what? Right. Like, there's so many things they don't establish. But Not to they... mention, there's just, like, a lot of, like, them making out in front of parents. Well, on, on the on the one hand, I feel like the movie explains everything to you explicitly. Yeah. It never lets you just connect the dots. But on the other hand, there are things that it assumes you know. Yeah. But it, it never gives you a chance to have any dots to connect to even fucking get there. Right. Um... And then, after this whole movie of feeling like, okay, they're over-explaining everything, um, at the climax, she goes and is talking to James Marsden about, oh, whether she's going to go with him or the other guy. And she's so sad that James Marsden is, is like, disappointed and not going to – and I, in the moment, interpreted it as she's only going back to Ryan Gosling because James Marsden said no. And then I rewound it, and I'm like – no, it's not quite that. It's just they're really bad at Yeah. Like they're not telling you what happened so you'll be surprised when she goes home. Right. Which you can't you can't do both. Like you can either have it seem like she's not going to be with Ryan Gosling. Right. And she doesn't want to be with Ryan Gosling or you can have her really be in love with him. Like you can't really do both back to back. It was such a does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, and that's why it "quote unquote" works in the movie, though. Like, I don't think it did. I don't think it did work because to me, I was like, "Wait, she's not going with the main guy? 
And then she went with him, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, the, the whole time, I'm just like, what the, like, I wh- think why? the scene was supposed to be longer, and then, you know, the payoff is like, oh, thank goodness, you know? But they, they did a bad job of it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think it's supposed to be ambiguous, because they don't want you to right. guess what's going to happen. But then it immediately but, happens. <laughs> but but in, in making it ambiguous, it makes her less obviously in love with him. Right. Which is the whole fucking point at that point in the movie of what they're trying to do is like, but obviously she was extremely in love with him. But then why does she not sound like it for half of a scene? Like right. what? Like yeah, it was know. it was weird. Okay, so we're gonna take a break real quick, and then we'll come back with uh, four criteria to decide which Cassavetti's film did a better job today. Ooh, awesome. Um, we have decided to come up with uh, four criteria to decide which Cassavetes film, uh, Minnie and Moskowitz by the father John Cassavetes or Nick Cassavetti, the son, The Notebook. Um, so whenever we decide to do um, uh, media that is watched, we decide which one is more rewatchable. Um, because both of these... Uh, gentlemen, Nick and John, were both um, actors and directors in their own right. Uh, We talked about which one of their um, sort of other works were we more interested in consuming. Uh, Jeremy, which other two uh, criteria do you want to talk about? We were going to talk about which one got better performances out of actors. I think that was a good one because... John Cassavetes is supposed to be really good with actors... Because but he also, was an actor. Yes, but also you look at the notebook and it's like, holy fuck, this cast. Which is like, some of that's because this guy grew up, you know, in movies, first of all. He's in most of his father's movies. And he grew up with, like, a, you know, the, he was learning it. He didn't have to go to film school. It was happening in his house because John Cassavetes yeah. would film in their house all the time with their mom and their him and his sisters. As an adult, he was in Face Off. Yeah, like he he played Nicolas Cage's face for a couple scenes. That's not true. Don't don't <laughs> did, don't John check Travolta's that. face. <laughs> Spoilers. He's a Scientologist. Oh no, <laughs> that's terrible news. Um, and then because they're both actors slash directors, we also wanted to talk about. Um, I called it director's influence. You called it like noticing how the director did their job. Which is like. Just like which which one directed it? I mean, there is an Academy Award for Best Director. Yes, and it does not go to who the same person as Best Film. Correct. Um, and uh, I'm not positive that many people that are voting for the Academy uh really know the difference, even though they work in the industry. But we're gonna try to make our distinction here. Well, just because like these guys aren't new to the game this is neither yeah. of them this is not this is neither of their first this is not their debut this is not their second movie they had been they had been actors who wanted to go behind the camera and direct and this is not the first time they did it with either of their movies so yeah i think it's fair to say one of them did a better job than the other and we're going to argue about that so um i think we should get other works out of the way i would like to watch 
face off again um he but the other movies he's directed don't really he's like Cameron Diaz is in two or three of them which seems weird that with uh, that Nick Cassavetes has done I would like to see some of the movies he's acted in but oh he was in one episode of Quantum Leap all right Scott Bakula St. Louis Pride right there but everything like he just sort of moves around and everything's sort of all over the place not just with genres but like quality other like major motion pictures Mm -hmm. he's bit rolls sometimes so I don't know Nick Cassavetes just doesn't really seem to have like a through line for me I mean Nick Cassavetes I'm looking up movies he's made and they're movies that I mean like you said um, Cameron Diaz is in a lot of them Yes, she and is. they don't sound bad, but like I'm, I'm also like, which it's not fair to say, other than Alpha Dog, which I just remember the name. That's probably <laughs> that's probably I'd probably watch that. I don't know if I needed to, but like it's not fair for me to say I was an adult when a lot of these came out, and yet right. I don't remember hearing about them. Correct. And then I'm like, if it was 1971, and I um. An independent film was barely a thing, right. and I lived in and I lived in the Midwest. Would I have heard about Minnie and Moskowitz? Right. Which is which now you have to find on YouTube. Right. So it's so like it's not fair to say I didn't I haven't heard of these. So may, maybe maybe they're pretty good. I don't know. Like, but then again, nowadays independent film, you know, you hear about like the stuff that's good, you end up hearing about. Right. I mean, generally, but not always. I don't know. Um, but in terms of John Cassavetes, I mean, I've seen two of his other movies. Uh, would highly recommend Husbands. Would highly recommend Killing Me Chinese Bookie. Um, I would okay. recommend The Dirty Dozen, which he acts in, but does not direct. Yeah. In. Yeah, as a director, um, I still want to see Women Are Influence. I still want to see... I've heard... It was between opening night and Minnie and Moxiewicz when I asked a couple of my friends that had seen a bunch of his movies which mm-hmm. ones we should do with a notebook. Um, I don't know anything about them. Yeah. The thing I, with him is is he it, it's at a point where it's like I know enough about him and I've seen a couple of his films. I'll just watch whatever. I don't need to read a description. My 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 wife sometimes I'll be like, oh, I've heard this movie's really good. It came out a couple years ago this director's really cool and she's like what's the movie about and I'm like I have intentionally not learned that I want to be surprised and sure. she's like I don't know like like she wants to know what she's getting into right because I think she needs to be in the mood for something in particular but I'm like I remember hearing good things about this I know nothing other than that and she's like I don't know and so I'm like no let's 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 jump into the unknown yeah uh, so but just recently, uh, I had heard of this movie called uh, Last Train to Busan, and I'm like, oh, that sounds oh, good. Oh, yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, somehow, like, it got spoiled to me that it was a zombie movie. I was so looking forward to starting a movie and not knowing there was a zombie apocalypse, and it just happening. I was really looking forward to that. <laughs> and it's like, and no one spoiled it for me. It's in the, it's in the description. It's in the genre. But I was looking yeah. forward to, like 
sitting down to a movie and having no expectations except that it's an action movie set in South Korea, and then I was really looking forward to being surprised that there were zombies. But, you know, unintentionally it was spoiled for me. The the closest I've ever gotten to start a movie and not know there's zombies, suddenly there's zombies, is uh, one time, I think in high school, I was... I was at a pole vaulting camp in Nebraska over the summer, and I was in the hotel, and we turned on the TV, and From Dust Till Dawn started. That that movie did it perfectly, yes. And it's like, okay, this is a crime movie in, right. in Southern California. Right. They're running away from the police. They go down to Mexico. Okay, what's going to happen? They go to a bar. There's vampires for the rest of the movie? Was it? Is it an hour? Do they make it? They make it at least forty-five minutes without mentioning it. It's a it's an hour, including commercials. Okay. I think because okay. it was a while, and then we were like, "What the fuck?" And it was so late at night. We were like, "We probably have to go to bed," but I don't think we're going to. <laughs> suddenly, there's vampires. <laughs> yeah, some. I think that goes to sometimes. It, it's good to watch a genre movie because you know exactly what you're going to get, and then it's good to watch. Mm. Movies like Knives Out, where they give you everything, they front load it, so you're not watching for, like, a twist, you're watching for how it plays out. And I, I appreciate stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not one of those people who always is, like, saying, oh, they're doing another sequel, or they're doing another remake. I love that stuff. Also, everyone has always done that, so I don't think it's, mm-hmm. you know, worthwhile to crap on that, but I do love when someone does something original and it and and they stick the landing. Well, speaking of knives out, I don't I don't think they give it away up front. They just the twist is not what is normally the twist. That's a good like, way to put it, yeah. Not not spoiling anything for anyone. It's like there's there's a thing that's normally a twist in that kind of movie. They give that away right away and right. you think, What's the rest of the movie gonna be? Oh, it's gonna be her avoiding getting caught. Right. Oh, oh no. Does it then eventually there's a twist of like who is the person that put it into motion? Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. a good movie. I'd recommend it. Um, okay, so next let's talk about uh since we both want to watch more work by John Cassavetes, which movie do you want to sit down and rewatch? Which one are you gonna you know, charge up the old VHS player and pop in? I mean, I already said this earlier that Minnie Moskowitz feels like a movie that, if I rewatched it, I think that it there'd be value added in, in the fact that I'm seeing it the second time. Sure. Because I know that they end up together, and I want to, I want to, and I know that this movie is kind of like analyzing um relationships in movies. Yeah. And so, looking at it from the beginning of like what are the things that are putting her down the path to end up with this guy? And what are the things about him that are, I want to say setting a trap for her, but that's not, I mean, they do end up together and they, and for all we know, they end up happy. Right. But it's like, there's so much horribleness that like facilitates that, that I think going in and knowing that that's how it ends. Um, although I knew I had heard it was romantic. So I was like, Oh, they probably end up together, mm-hmm. but just going in, knowing that, knowing how it ends would be interesting and watching what all the characters do. Yeah. Whereas the note, the notebook, this is the second time I saw it re it reaffirmed. Right. Most of the things that I did not like about it. 
it, it reaffirmed that there are which I didn't notice the first time because I was so creeped out by um, him basically stalking her right? and um, stuff like that that I didn't I wasn't able to see the, the moments that are actually genuinely sweet and genuinely sure. like good right? and so I picked up on those the second time but I, I don't think I need a third time I think I've seen everything I need to um, there's so many weird there's so many weird things about that movie like that were that yeah. I just wasn't into so I am I'm picking the notebook because it's so easy to I don't want to rewatch either of these but for different reasons and I picked the notebook because I could it can be on and I can zone out Minnie Moskowitz kind of like yeah. held my attention and <laughs> in a like it was I was physically uncomfortable with some of these interactions and I'm going to talk about that when we get to like the actor and the director part but like I don't want to go through that again <laughs> like <laughs> we're like not to say that the notebook like <laughs> so in my head I came up with the a fan theory that he had been uh, pocketing his heart pills because he knew that he was going to die soon and he was just waiting for her to give him the okay that she wants to die too and then they overdosed on his heart medicine pills that's my fan theory and that's not a good way to for a movie to end and I understand that they were in love and that's nice but it, this movie is emotionally exhausting where Minnie and Moskowitz is mentally exhausting and I think yeah we're like Minnie and Moskowitz you're like you keep asking yourself like what's going on like why would they why would a person act like this and you're like oh no that, this is how people think this is how people act in real life where when you're watching like the notebook you're like oh this is just you know it's a fairy tale like this isn't real life you know, like, mm -hmm. he goes to war, and he's fine. Like, James Marsden gets injured in war, he meets a pretty girl, and he's gonna end up with her. Like, th that's really nice. And then they, like, so your emotions are, like, coasting, and then they do these, like, really devastating spikes. They're like, hey, this war widow found solace with this, like, war veteran, and yeah. like, they're gonna be okay. Oh wait, no! Now he's gonna meet the woman he actually loves. I'm like, no, that's not good. And so, and then they die at the end. And so I was just, I, I didn't like that that the the they, he pulled one over on me. I don't appreciate that. So you want to watch it again to 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 beat him this time? No, I'm just not gonna pay attention. Because <laughs> not watching either isn't a choice. You have to watch one again. So I would just have yeah. that on. And then I, I guess I would get up to go to the bathroom at the end and just, you know, just run the clock out. Where Minnie and Moscow, it's like, I, I'm interested in what's happening, but I, I can't do it. It's too, it's too real. One of the, I was just looking at my notes while you were talking about that. And one of the things that frustrated me about the notebook is like that scene where her mom takes her to see the guy that oh her, her mom was in love with when she was younger. Yeah. And it's like, her mom is like, see, I also had a, uh, like a, a guy I thought I loved. A trash But one. then, but uh, yeah, a guy that was garbage. But then I went and married your father and I've been very happy and I love your father. And then, despite her being the one that brought her to this situation, <laughs> she starts bawling <laughs> and is like, 
I don't know. I don't know. And then just because being near that guy that she hasn't seen in 25 years. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, that's another thing. So this guy she hasn't seen in forever, like just being around him made her cry and that made her be more understanding of her daughter's plight. Like, like when she had the thought, we're going to go see this guy. Right. Like, how did she not have the breakdown then? Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so like, there's so many fucking steps involved yeah. in this. Oh, and then also there's a moment where she said, um, I haven't seen that man in 25 years. And Rachel McAdams character, uh, was 17 at the beginning of the movie. Uh, one day before that, Ryan Gosling said it's been seven years since we've seen each right. other, and I'm like, this, this is this her father? <laughs> it's like this. She, this, so she, the day after she didn't see this guy, she got married, and no, then I think he might, she might have been got pregnant. pregnant. <laughs> like, are they are they saying this this fucking garbage man is? That's what I'm Rachel saying. Adam's dad. If you rewatch this movie, you can add your own. <laughs> story to it because there's so many holes there's more you can find because it's so shoddily put together <laughs> yes yes it's a it's a diy uh movie one of my one of my favorite uh notes that i wrote down because um well i was drinking while i was watching this movie and also Smart. it was it was dark in the room because there was a glare so i so i was still taking notes and i wrote entourage guy sucks <laughs> unnecessarily <laughs> No, what was his name? Finn. He's the he, he was the the friend that died in World War Two, but he apparently sucked before that. <laughs> like he was just like an asshole. <laughs> to contrast with Ryan Gosling, but like he's Ryan Gosling's best friend. Right. So that contrast does not. Um... So I'm glad he's dead. Is what you're trying to tell me? Well, I think they were like, well, this guy's an asshole to show that Ryan Gosling is an asshole, but like this is his best friend, so that means that he, <laughs> by association, is an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong. It's it's not a good movie. So let's move on to the next one. I blame we, the book, but yeah. I, I'm happy with that. I haven't read it, but I blame it. That makes sense. Uh, which movie do you think had better performances from their actors? Fuck. Um... I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to say The Notebook because of James Gardner. Um, because uh, I hated the mom so much which means that she did a pretty good job of acting. Oh, she was great. She was fantastic. And then, who else did I like? Um, I thought James Marsden did a good job. I don't think the War Widow did a good job. And I think Gina Rollins did a good job because she had to play someone with Alzheimer's. And she didn't I... like Sean Pennett, mm -hmm. you know, where <laughs> she was like, oh, this is just, I'm just going to play it for an Academy Award. She was just like, you know, she was this old Southern woman with dementia. I thought she did a good job with that. Um, not to say that Minnie and Moskowitz, anybody did a bad job, just, like, I think, like, what I talked about, like, the moms, like, the moms, it was so awkward, but, like, you don't need to act for it to be awkward, you know? That's more of the next thing with the director, like, the cinematographer, just, like, knowing how to shoot people sitting quietly it's like okay just sit quietly at a table and then like the director the cinematographer or the editor makes it awkward where like you can't tell james marsden like okay you're <laughs> you loved this woman for your whole life and she has dementia so you read her a notebook every day go and he's just like okay i, I got this one guys like he 
there's some tr- some really good acting from those guys from the old yeah i think i i think uh john castavetti's got great performances out of everybody yeah. i think that uh, i forget who it was the guy that's the crazy guy in like that first scene uh, he's like regular people and all that. who starts uh, quoting uh, poetry yeah yeah um there's so much good stuff in there but i mean the notebook they casted the fuck out of that movie like oh man so rachel uh, mcadams ryan gosling before do it doing his like just having a smirk on his face and staring at the other actor for seconds at a time yeah like uh, like shit that he's able to do in a way that's really good it's so good before they cast Rachel McAdams they had thought of three people who were actors oh no I guess all four so they were they originally auditioned Reese Witherspoon who you know she is in a handful of romantic comedies Ashley I mean, Judd who Reese Witherspoon would have been amazing Reese Witherspoon would have been no not that old she'd have been She'd have been okay. She she has a young face too. Yeah, then, I guess at the I guess at the beginning you're playing a seventeen year old, but then pretty quickly you're playing like a twenty five year old. Yeah, and Reese Witherspoon, like four or five years before that, played a high schooler in Election. So, oh, yeah. no, that's I, Alicia Silverstone. Oh no, no, that's a different movie. You're right. Yeah, I'm thinking of Clueless. My bad. Oh yeah, which was which was more than four or five years before that. Yes, that was mid nineties. You're right. Um, and then they were also gonna get Jessica Biel from Seventh Heaven, who I don't uh, know how old she would have been then. And then your friend and mine, Britney Spears from Crossroads fame. <laughs> Britney Spears, that movie would have made a lot more money. Jessica Biel, um, would have been. It would have been. I just don't been, think it, she's that good at acting. I mean, Jessica Biel, it would have been okay but not in like like it would have been okay like this movie's this movie would st- it would still be dog shit but it would be like worse dog shit right um uh Reese Witherspoon I think would be great Reese Witherspoon's the only one that I think m- could have improved on Rachel McAdams but Rachel yeah. McAdams I, she did a great job it's an actress that I really like yeah so who are you going with for actor performances I think I'm gonna go with the notebook I mean a lot of a lot of mini Moskowitz and it works but a lot of it is just yelling yes which I think as a writer or director having these people yell the whole time is what it needed yes but it's like it's not as hard as like Ryan Gosling looking at this house and wanting to repair it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it sounds so stupid now that I've said it. It's a good point. Uh, he just built it because she wanted it, which so, which is insane. Like this whole like what like that's not why you should do things, sir. Well, he always wanted the house to begin with, but because of her, he like made it happen. Like it's yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What? Whenever, uh, whenever uh, his dad said, oh, "Oh, because the GI Bill and my money's still in my house, you can right. get that house now," um, that was a moment that I paused the movie, turned to Liz, and said, "You want to know what thing I learned? 
recently <laughs> is that uh, black soldiers in World War II uh, did not get the GI Bill. And she was like, what? Oh, and then we talked about that for a little bit, and then we went back into the movie sad. <laughs> I thought this movie did a really, like, it seemed like they tried to have a lot of African-American actors, and, like, they tried to do a, like, wealth divide sort of thing where it's like he works with uh like black men you know Mm -hmm. and they like clap when she came and then like her family only has them as only has black people servants servants. and then like all of the african american like the all african american staff at the nursing home i'm like Mm. are they trying to say something like that okay and this gets me to the director's influence this move the notebook had so many things other that they I couldn't tell they were trying to do or that they tried to do and did a bad job and that's why I don't feel comfortable saying that it that this was well directed um I I did notice all the black staff at the nursing home and I did notice that there were some black people in the flashbacks right and I remember thinking that they're mixing with the white people and 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 that I was like it's because it's is, it's is the that, 40s that, in South Carolina is to what extent is this wishful moment and what extent is it oh yeah. he works at like a mill or whatever right like and I was like oh, oh he probably would to some extent it's like kind of stacking the deck right for the protagonist to be like and he wasn't a racist right. but like but but then the other people just it's implicit that they're racist because they're like they're wealthy, but like right. it's 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 an extreme background thing that like I'm only thinking about now because you pointed it out that right. I had these thoughts when I watched it. And that's but, the thing is like I didn't know if they were trying to do something or not because it seemed I don't know I couldn't tell what they were doing, and I think and that's a problem with a director is because with mm-hmm. Minnie and Moskowitz there's you can come away with multiple interpretations but you know like there's no question what happened in the movie where yeah with the notebook i'm like well why did this happen i like well the notebook i i'm just it's just just now occurring to me that i've been saying this multiple times during this podcast that they spell everything out to you and don't let you connect the dots at all right and i'm realizing i haven't given examples I'm trying to think of any, and I, uh, so I don't remember. So at the beginning of the movie, he says, I am not an important man. I have just loved someone my whole life with my whole heart, and that's why I, I'm i happy, or I, I know mm-hmm. I've lived a good life, or something like that. I'm like, well, there goes the... Like, I don't need that, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's not just that. It's like moments where it's like, the narrator jumps in and says stuff, and you say, "Oh, I could have figured out that they, that he was sad." Yeah. Like you know, um, but then also like there's there's some weird moments where like, he, Ryan Gosling's character says to Rachel McAdams' character, he's like, "Yes, I did write you. You didn't get those letters," <laughs> and then she believes him. They have sex even though she's engaged to the other guy, <laughs> um, and then her mom shows up. And just happens to have the letters with her, all which of them, maybe, in all, a, all of them wrapped with a ribbon. Together. And I'm like, if you were like, I don't want my 
daughter to end up with this bum. Right. This guy that works at a fucking wood factory and and we could get her married to someone that that owns a, a I don't know a bunch of cotton plantations. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> it's like South. a it's like a it's like a sugar company or whatever yeah. the fuck it is that no, Ace Martin's. You're right. It was cotton. I I I would have I would have remembered. I, I think it was something something similar. But some kind of factory or some kind of whatever. But you think if she's like this degenerate is writing my daughter's letters. Right. That she wouldn't throw like not just burn like she wouldn't burn them but she would like throw them in the trash. I'm sure right. they have trash. Like it's all their trash in their house. <laughs> like they just she can just gather up all these letters. Like why did she save these? Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. It's Which is like an it's a nitpicky plot hole. I don't think so. But also, if she trusts him, she shouldn't have to read these letters if you wanted to fix the movie. That's a good point. But then you have he, to hear one of them. I don't know. I mean, her mom could say, her mom could admit, okay, we're fixing the movie now. Her mom could admit that she threw out the letters, but she could say that she read one of them and she remembered this line. And it could just be one sentence and that would be more affecting than her driving off and reading a, a le- random letter out of the stack of letters that happened to be this is the last letter I will send you. It's like, f- f- how how did you even know which one was where was the which was the front and which was the back? Because it's just a random stack. Also, like th- he could have like saved up all of that postage and just like gone up there one day, you know. Yeah, but I think at the time people sent a lot of letters. But, like, after you get through your 200th letter, you're like, I wonder if she's getting them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What if it's the wrong address? <laughs> just, it's, it's a vacant lot next to their house. I was and also, the, mailman, the mailman's just throwing it into the swamp. I was also waiting for that, where it's like, at no point was she like, okay, like, tell him I love him. It's like, also, like, give him the address. Like, how did he get the address? Also, something that just occurred to me. <laughs> she knew his address. Her parents weren't stopping her from walking to the fucking post office. <laughs> she never sent him a letter. <laughs> what the fuck? And that, oh my, my God. friend, is oh my a movie. God. That's, so I'm guessing you're going with the notebook on the director then, right? Nah, I'm going to... Uh, John Cassavetes is really good. I'm going to watch probably all the movies he's directed eventually. Nick Cassavetes, uh, if I if I really want to see a... Who was it again that's in all of his movies? If I, if I really get in a big... Oh, Cameron Diaz. Uh, Cam, Cameron Diaz kick. <laughs> yes. That's unlikely. We are not in the... Whenever the mask came out days. We're not in those days anymore. Nah... Um, so, uh, we, we, we gave The Notebook some nods. We, Nick Cassavetes, he's not a bad director. I don't want to say that. But, uh, today, Minnie and Moskowitz, directed by John Cassavetes, is our winner, um, with the majority of the votes here. Uh, we'll I be forgot back. that, I forgot there was a winner on this podcast. Oh, yeah, there's always a winner, which means that there's always a loser. <laughs> yep. We'll be back in just a second. Uh, we already talked about different movies that these guys have directed so we'll come up with an interesting recommendation for you and some plugs in just a minute and we're back okay 
uh, we are sort of at an impasse. We usually recommend a movie um, that fits with the category, and instead of recommending a Cassavetes movie, we have decided to go with the Father's Day theme and tell you a famous uh, father and one of his offspring that you should check out their movies. Um, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and you can um, tell us yours and then a little bit of how we kind of ran into a problem with this. <laughs> part, part of the problem is finding one whether it's like they've both directed stuff that's good. But two, I mean, literally earlier we were talking about part of what's great about uh, more independent films like John Cassavetes did, like Mudbook Horror and all that, is that it gets around this idea that um like like it's like it's a way to get into hollywood yes as opposed to so many people that are basically born into it and so i was looking at a list on wikipedia of like hollywood filmmaking family dynasties and i was just kind of grossed out after a little (laughs) bit because it's like oh yeah everyone everyone fucking like has a job because their parents had a job right like it's so like it, it's so antithetical to the idea of something like Minnie or, Moskowitz or a meritocracy. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, or or even that. Yeah, um, Carl Reiner directed The Jerk, and Rob Reiner directed a bunch of really good movies. Uh, that's a place to start in terms of just off the top of my head. Also, yeah. uh, Sofia Coppola is Nicolas Cage's cousin. Um, there you go. Enjoy that. Everybody. That's. <laughs> watch watch raising arizona because he's related to the guy that did the conversation i, I could have said the godfather but no actually actually we're doing a, a couple of movie i just recently watched uh the conversation which is insane which it's on i think it's i think it's for free on prime if not it's cheap oh, cool. to rent um and it's really fucking good it is okay so i've just launched into an actual uh recommendation good um uh, it's also from the 70s, kind of like um, Minnie Moskowitz and yes. a lot of the other uh, um, Cassavetes movies. Um, this guy gets hired to record a conversation between two people, and he's like really good at doing that kind of shit. And their setup is like crazy, where they have people at different buildings recording from different angles, and he has to like sync it up. But then he uncovers. Uh, what they're talking about in it and that haunts him and then um, from there a lot of stuff happens I don't know I don't want to give anything away it's it's really good it is a, it's a great movie if you thought that you knew who Gene Hackman was he, oh my god he is talk about like actor and then how a performance is pulled from an actor by a director like this is a it's first of all it's an interesting movie just from like how it's done because it's so you don't expect it to be how how can this be a movie and then you're like oh it's a movie about espionage you're like not even close but like the, it is a very interesting like technical movie in mm-hmm. that like when you talk about Citizen Kane you're like this is the first time anyone's ever shot the ceilings in a movie sort of thing you're like oh I mean like it makes no difference to us now but then it, mm-hmm. it was revolutionary and then also one of the other act one of the other actors in the movie is John Cazale or Cazale, I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name. Uh he died young. He was in The Godfather, The Conversation. Fredo, 
Yeah, Fredo, who's the Godfather, the Conversation Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and the Deer Hunter. That are, is a that is all amazing. of the movies he was in, and all but one of the all of them except for the Conversation. I think like were nominated for Best Picture. Wow. Which is like, it's like, man, if he lived to today, he'd have been in what like a hundred and something movies <laughs> <laughs> got nominated for Best yeah. Picture. I mean, I'm I'm making light of this guy having a tragic early death but great movie actor he, though but he's really fucking good and he's really good in this movie um and then if you like Nicolas Cage who is uh the nephew of the person that directed the conversation uh watch Raising Arizona um I couldn't find a director fast enough so I'm gonna go with a acting duo so we got Bruce Dern who um has been oh, in fuck a ha- yeah. handful of um Quentin Tarantino stuff. Uh, most recently, he was in The Hateful Eight. Uh, I haven't seen Nebraska yet, but I'm really looking forward to watching that. Nebraska's actually really good. And his it's... daughter. Oh, go ahead. Who, who's who's the other actor in that? He's a comedy guy. It's um. Uh, Will Forte, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a movie where I was like, oh, Will Forte's really fucking talented. I mean, I already knew he was funny. Yeah. But just watching that movie, he. Had... It's not just. I mean, comedy and drama aren't just two opposite right. things. Right. There's a lot within it, and he does a lot of different. There's a big range of drama stuff he's doing in Nebraska. That sounds really dumb explanation, but it's he's really good. And then his daughter is Laura Dern, um, so from Jurassic Park fame. But I recently, well, before the uh, Corona hit, I got to see um, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. And it was really awesome, and she plays yes. Marmy, the mom, and uh, she makes you want to cry most of the time. So uh, that's the Dern family. So uh, very skilled people who don't what with what they're given, they do a good job. So maybe they got it because uh, of some uh, some nepotism, but they're doing good work. So uh, there's I'm trying to find it right now, but Laura Dern did. For some website, it was Jurassic Park, Jeremy. No, no, for, but for some website, they interviewed her about all of her like roles that she's had, mm-hmm. and her just talking about it is amazing. I don't know. Uh, just try and Google that, I because I can't find it. Uh, um, one of her early roles, because uh, her parents were both actors, and she was a little girl, and her mom was supposed to be threatened by somebody, um, some some other actor. And she was, like, supposed to be off-screen, and she saw her mom being threatened by this man, and she ran up and was like, no, don't hurt my mom! <laughs> like, her first her first movie role. Um, yeah, she's great. That's awesome. All right. Um, so with that, we are going to uh, transition to the plug section. Jeremy, um, tell us about some of the stuff we should look up if uh, that you got going on right now. Um, I have a podcast called Sorry, Please Continue. Um, I don't update it as much as I should, although I've got a bunch of uh, stuff i got to upload. Uh, basically, it is um, uh, me, my co-host, and then a guest comedian um, listen to people tell stories. It's a, it's a live show. Uh, or it used to be a live show, but it's been live-streamed recently. Uh, people tell stories about a theme, and the three of us interrupt with like jokes and questions. Um, sometimes it's almost like an interview. Sometimes it's just them telling a story and us adding jokes to it. Um, 
when it's a lot the, of fun. When the quarantine's over, I recommend anybody in the St. Louis area. Well, actually, no, it's traveled a bunch too, right? Yeah, have been in other cities. It's it's a lot of fun to go and watch. Um, it's fun to listen to, of course, but uh, I, if you can see it live, I would definitely recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I think our next uh, live stream show is through Helium Comedy Club, so if you go to the website, Excellent. you can find it. Uh, and it, I think it's going to be on June 30th. We were supposed to have one last week, but because of all the protests and stuff, yeah. um, they were canceling all the shows, and we were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to start doing stand-up again at some point. Um, I'm kind of dreading being asked to do a show. Sure. Because right now I'm like, it is less safe than it was when we first shut down. Right. So uh, if it's someone's like, hey, do my open mic, I'm going to say no. If yeah. someone's like, hey, here's $500 for a week of work as a feature act, I'll be like, okay, but then I can't be around my family for a few weeks. Right. Uh, That's um, so yeah, but either way, but someday, where, but someday, where would people uh, find this out? What are the what should they follow? Oh, uh, JeremyHelwig.com is my website. Um, I in normal times when I'm busy, sometimes I won't update it for a couple weeks at a time. But I'm sure as soon as I have dates, I'll be updating it regularly because it's um, that will be exciting. Can they um, find? the link to your podcast on there too yes it, li- it links to the podcast it okay. also links to the page for fatal bus accident which is a sketch group that i have that we um we did we stopped doing our live show for a while and we were going to work on some video stuff and we awesome. have a we have some videos that we're going to film but then um the the, the pandemic started yeah and the the first short film we were going to make had like nine or ten characters and it was like oh we can't all be in the house (laughs) oh no that's um yeah but that's called fatal bus accident that's also linked to from my website we've got some old videos um we were going to be doing um some old sketches at like some uh comedy festivals and stuff this year but those all got cancelled or rescheduled so put it on pause we'll see um, do you have anything to plug? I mean... <laughs> oh, no. Nice try. Nice try. Trying to take this over. I'm so, so used to being the host. <laughs> um, no, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I can't wait to uh, do it again. We are, yeah. of course, um, stuck at home consuming media, so I always like to do it with a little purpose. So... It's been it's been too long since the last time I was on it. I was, like, one of the first few that yeah, you you're had. Yeah, you're in the first three. Yeah, and then that was how many years ago? It feels like forever. Uh, just four, four years ago. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get back yeah. on it. Um, we'll get back on it. Well, we have to watch. Maybe we'll watch some mumblecore movies and come back on here. We'll do mumblecore and mumble rap. Oh, that sounds. I love it. Hard to talk about. I already, I already know too much about both. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this has been comparing apples to oranges. I'm Mike. I'm Jeremy. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.
enjoyed listening to some uh, John Williams there. Both of these movies didn't really didn't really have a soundtrack that I could fall back on, so I just you know old reliable Jurassic Park music's always good. Uh, I hope everything's doing good, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to episode 51 of the podcast. If you're interested in listening to all of the episodes, go ahead and check out the blog spot. That's thecatopodcast.blogspot.com. Um, got some goodies in the show notes today, a bunch of stuff Jeremy was talking about, as well as uh, a link to his website that has all of his information and videos for you to watch any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast please send it to on twitter we're at the cato podcast all one word or go ahead and send an email to cato podcast at gmail.com the intro outro music bed music today was by the great artist leisure b and his song thumbs up if you liked it and wanted to check out more of his stuff go to humanworkshop.com all right We'll catch you next month. Bye. 1,026 years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of fear. A time of gargoyles! Uh, uh, Liz, what are you doing? Hey there, Daniel. Uh, I didn't see you. Um, I'm just watching Gargoyles. The mid-90s Disney cartoon? Yeah. And do you always yell along with Goliath? Do you not? Fair point. So, did you maybe want to watch with me? Oh, and then make a podcast about it? Hells yeah! Yes, I'm so into it! We are Defenders of the Night! The most trusted source for top-to-bottom coverage of everyone's favorite mid-90s animated program, Gargoyles! Find us at CalamityCast.com or your favorite podcatcher. Roar! <laughs>